Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the ability to get together and worship you by studying your word and the time period surrounding the writing of it. Uh, we pray that you would bless all the food today and the fellowship. Thank you for um, the ability to worship you with food and feasting. Pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Okay, <clears throat> so I am uh, subbing for Dan again talking a little bit about working through the context of the Old Testament, and uh, I'll do a little bit of kind of background and review today, but the goal is to work through some more of the kingdoms and nations that provide the backdrop and context for the late Old Testament, and now we're kind of getting into the New Testament, so that's that's what uh, we're looking at now. Um, we have, we've kind of walked through a couple of the different series of nations that uh, kind of transition from um, most powerful nation in the world, starting uh, at around 1000 BC, so I won't write it every time, but we are talking about BC here, um, and I like to use 1000 as a nice kind of place to start, because that's when David, roughly when David becomes king, and you have Israel at its height um, at the United Kingdom. So that's a good place to start. <clears throat> the next kingdom that we see start to grow and expand um, is Assyria. So around, let's see, so Assyria, I don't know, can people see this? Hopefully a little bit. <clears throat> I have a map here, it's a little bit small, but we've got the Mediterranean. Uh, hopefully it's a little better than the one I drew uh, last time. But we have the Mediterranean here, so we'll reference it a little bit. Um, but we see Assyria starting to grow in around 900, eight, the 800s. But it becomes a problem for Israel in uh, between 730, really 730 and 700, is when you see all the Assyrian kings start to uh, make incursions into Israel and um, the northern kingdom is conquered then. So that's a good kind of anchor anchor period. Isaiah is writing uh, at that time. Um, and um, Assyria is a very wicked, uh, very wicked nation. They believe that basically their, their um, religion is to conquer uh, other countries. They basically have to go to war every year. Uh, as part of like their the, kind of the rights of their religion, so they just basically go out conquering all the time and are very brutal. Um, and we hear about their kind of downfall predicted and prophesied in Nahum. It predicts the downfall of, of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Um, and Jonah obviously uh, preaches to them, and they convert. But a few generations later, that's before this time, a few generations later, you see Assyria come in and take over the ten northern tribes. So um, the, the uh, nation that conquers Assyria in, ooh, look out, in 605 is what? Babylon, yes. Did I already say it? Okay. <clears throat> Babylon. So 605 now is when Babylon uh, conquers 
uh, Assyria and kind of punishes them. Um, but they don't, when Babylon comes in, they do more than just uh, punish um, Assyria. They also punish Israel, uh, Judah and Jerusalem, which is still existing. Um, they, had, they were not able to be conquered by Assyria, um, and so Babylon comes in. And we hear about that in uh, Jeremiah 25. So that's the first kind of passage we'll look at uh, really quick. Um, during the time of Assyria, uh, Isaiah has been preaching to the southern kingdom, to Judah, telling them to repent. Um, and you have that story of um, he comes to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was sick and he gets healed. And some emissaries come, right, to see, to come wish him well since he's gotten better from the sickness. And he shows them his whole kingdom, right? He shows all the storehouses. And uh, Isaiah comes and talks to him and says, um, he says, what did you show them? What did they see? And he says, they saw everything. There's nothing above my, uh, in my treasures that I did not show them. And Isaiah, this is uh, Isaiah 39. He says, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, will be born will be born to you will be taken away um, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon um, so this is something Isaiah prophesies you know, 150 years earlier about and then Jeremiah comes uh, and prophesies to the people as it's happening so while Babylon is, is basically in the middle of attacking so we'll start with Jeremiah 25 and, uh, and read that um, could somebody read we'll do 11 verses, the first 11 verses, um, now what should set it up. So that's in the first year of the of Nebuchadnezzar, which is 605, when Babylon conquers Assyria and also uh, begins the exile of Jerusalem, the Jews in Jerusalem. 
ancient Babylon. Um, in verse 9, what does what is Nebuchadnezzar called? In verse 9. What's that? Servant. Yeah, so it's interesting. He is called there God's servant, Nebuchadnezzar, um, the king of Babylon. So he is obviously doing God's will in punishing both Israel, both Jew, Jerusalem and the Assyrians. And we also hear that this is going to happen for seven years. So we hear the seven years there. Um, Babylon is is in modern day Iraq, which is next to Iran. And Iran is kind of more Persian. Yeah. So um, down here, I don't go all the way down here, but you essentially have uh, Syria. Assyria is next to uh, is kind of next to uh, Israel here, and then the next nation over you have is ooh, it's close. Um, the next you have uh, Babylon, and then farther east is Persia. So they're a little farther, um, but Babylon is kind of is moving over, and and they so they initiate the kind of um, ex- exile of Jerusalem in 605. But if the kings obey and, become, and continue to be you know, loyal subjects of Babylon and pay the tribute, they are still told that they'll be able to live in the land peacefully. However, they don't. So there's a couple uprisings by the subsequent kings. And eventually Zedekiah um, kind of has the final rebellion. And that's when in 586, which is your kind of next super key date, 586 is when you have the fall of Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed. So the temple destroyed. The first temple destroyed. So that's a key date for us, the 586 number, and that's under Babylon. Okay, so, um, <clears throat> and then we're told for, for 70 years it's destroyed, and then in 516, that's when, after the Persians take over, you have it restored. Okay, so that's 70 years later. So, um, all right, so that's Babylon. Uh, I mentioned it. Um, the uh, We're told, so 70 years you're going to have, uh, the temple is going to be destroyed, you'll be in exile. And then picking up at the end of Jeremiah 25, let's read the last uh, three verses or the next three verses there. Um uh, could somebody read 12 to 14? Jeremiah 25, 12 to 14. after these 70 years are up, you're then going to have Babylon punished for what they've done. Okay, so a couple verses earlier, they're called they're called God's servant, right? He brings them to uh, punish both Syria and Jerusalem. And then a couple <coughs> verses later, he says, I will punish the king of Babylon um, for their iniquity or for their guilt. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's not the side that's kind of ruffled it. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's some interesting things there, but um, obviously, even though Babylon is is you know, working out God's will, he, they're still guilty for how they for what they do, and um, and what nation comes in and kind of reverses the roles and punishes Babylon? The Medians and the Persians. The medium, the Medo Persians. Um, okay, so then the next big date is 539 that's when the Persians the Persians particularly Cyrus the Great comes in and he conquers Babylon so Assyria Babylon Persia 539 Persia conquers Babylon we read about that in um, Daniel chapter 5 with the writing on the wall um, and last time I was here we went through a number of different kind of uh, passages in uh, Daniel, and so we'll look at that's kind of what we'll jump into at the end as we talk about the following nation. Um, but 539 is an important day as the uh, like the fall of Babylon, fall of Babylon, the city and the nation. Okay. <clears throat> um, in when um, Cyrus comes in in 539. He conquers Babylon. There's a bunch of Jews there, obviously, and he frees them or sends a lot of them back to uh, Holy Land so they can rebuild, uh, you know, Jerusalem. Um, so that's in 539. That's why that's important. Um, but it takes a while for them to all come back and to rebuild the temple. There's a lot of there's hesitancy. There's problems locally, um, and it's not till. 516, right, which are 70 year period when they actually finish the temple. And that's what we see in uh, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Okay, so now we have the Persians. We talked a bit about the Persians last time, how they came to power and who Cyrus is and what he conquered. Um, he conquers, they conquer Babylon, they conquer Egypt, they conquer. You know, they, they're coming down from, from this area of Mesopotamia. They come down, they conquer everything that Assyria had, um, everything that Babylon had. They go into Egypt as well, and so they continue to expand even farther. Um, they, though, then their kind of reign ends in 330 with what? Talked about this a little bit last time. Greeks, yep, the Greeks in particular, particular, Alexander, great, okay, so that's 330, so you've got, uh, you know, quite a long time here, 539 to 330, where the Persians are dominating the, the, the area, um, there's a lot of kings in there, 10, 15, 20, quite a few, um, and in 330, Alexander the Great conquers. Um, Greece is over here, right? All of Persia was over this way. Um, he, so he conquers. Not only does his dad, Philip, um, kind of take over all of Greece and solidify Greece because it's a bunch of random cities, but then he, then he goes ahead and conquers everything that the Persians had. Um, so he's the next, kind of the next master of the, of the known western world at that point um a little background to the greeks though because they obviously don't just pop out of nowhere in 330 there's a lot of greek history
Um, and so we're going to talk pretty much for the rest of the time about the Greeks. We've got 20 minutes. So we'll talk about the Greeks and kind of what their, their situation is. How did we get to Alexander and then him conquering the, the world? Um, the reason he's important is because when he conquers everything, he spreads Greek culture, Greek language, and Greek culture. And that's kind of the world that the New Testament is. We, we are plopped into in the New Testament this Greek world, and that's, the, the word is Hellenized. The Hellenes are the Greek people, and when they when he Hellenizes the world, he's spreading Greek culture. Um, so that's important. So what's the deal with the Greeks? Um, modern day Greece is right here, this kind of peninsula. Um, it is through the 800s and 700s and 600s, right? So when all these nations are fighting over here, uh, the Greeks, are all this large conglomeration of city-states. So Greece is mountainous, and there's lots of islands. So it's not like this one unified country and a whole bunch of city-states. It's very um, kind of individualized uh, cities. And there's uh, a bunch of changes in, the, in these kind of four centuries leading up to what we're talking about. Um, a lot of developments in politics. You have Plato. Um, there's a lot of developments in warfare and trade and economics. So a lot of things that we inherit now today are developed in these centuries, kind of leading up to the time we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> not only are they developing a lot of those things, but there's also a population boom in here. And all these city-states start colonizing all over the Mediterranean, all the way out to France. You've got Greek colonies all over um, Italy here. Um, for a long time, this was called um, Greater Greece because all the coastline here, Syracuse in Sicily, was colonized by the Greeks, and then they went all throughout the Black Sea as well. So this whole part of the world, mainly along the coastline, um, is going to have hundreds of Greek settlements where they're trading. There's a lot of trade. They, they have, um, they've developed a lot of technology around sailing right and so that's the um that's kind of that's important um there's particularly a large settlement of greeks here in modern day turkey and when cyrus conquers babylon he continues over here and part of his what he conquers is these city states in greece okay so those are important because that's where persia butts up against the greek world um this is a long way from Persia, so Persia is way down here. This is a long way from Persia, so the way they keep control is they drop uh, what they would call a tyrant, a ruler, a, a despot, an individual tyrant, who would kind of rule pretty harshly and maintain control for them, and all they would want is just to make sure that the tribute you know, keeps coming back to Persia. So you've got all sorts of tyrants ruling, Persian tyrants ruling these Greek cities. That causes problems. They don't like that. Um, and so revolts start to happen around 500. What? Yeah. So around 500, you start to see revolts happening here. Um, and that is basically the, the lead up to the Persian Wars. So the Persian Wars are pretty famous. Um, uh, and it's because of this sort of this uh, fault line here between the Greek world and, and the Persian world that those happen. Essentially what happens, just to kind of skim over it, is um, there's, the revolts happen. 
these are all Greek cities they call home to Athens and these different cities over here, and they ask them for help. Athens comes over to help in the revolt, and they end up burning the Persian capital, which is in the, the kind of western Persian capital, and that makes uh, the Persian king Darius very mad. So he vows that he is going to invade Greece and punish them. And so that's what the Persian wars are. Um, in 490 is the first Persian war. Um, Darius invades. Darius is the one, we like Darius, right, in the Old Testament. He's the one who funds the rebuilding of the temple. Um, he invades Greece first and is stopped at uh, a famous battle called Marathon. And then 10 years later, his son Xerxes invades again. That's the second Persian War. That's in 480. And he, there's some famous episodes that happen there. Um, the Battle of Thermopylae, which Jonathan referenced, uh, happens there. Um, and so that's the Persian, those are the Persian Wars. Again, that's all leading up to when Alexander the Great conquers Persia. Um, and so for 200 years, basically, you've got this conflict where Persia and the Greeks are, are getting into fights with each other. Um, I don't know um, a ton about that. I know that um, a lot of the a lot of the political leadership is going to be, you know, Persian at the time. So the, there will still be there's still all the local cultures that are kind of under the surface, but the military and political control is going to be whatever nation is in charge. Um, that's why they choose who runs the, you know, runs the politics, who's in charge, tyrants, things like that. Um, but there's still there's still plenty of kind of local local regionalized groups that have their own culture and their own you know, customs and stuff. And so it's not like the whole world is now all of a sudden Persian and everybody dresses the same and acts the same. It's not like that. It's more the leadership. Um, if that kind of makes sense. And it's going to be the same way when Alexander takes over. He spreads Greek culture, so the ruling class is kind of all Greek, but you still have all your local, you know, you have in Israel the Jews. They still want to be Jewish, but the leadership wants them to be Greek and wants to impose Greek rules and Greek holidays and stuff, and that's where a lot of the conflict comes that we'll see leading up to um, the New Testament. Okay, so what's interesting about this period, um, we've talked about Daniel before. Um, Daniel kind of predicts and walks through a lot of this history. Um, so we're going to pick up in Daniel 11. And um, I would recommend everybody kind of follow along because there's, there's, um, there's some very specific details that are predicted. Um, in Daniel, which is he's in Babylon, right, way back here in the 550s, and he's predicting the events of, you know, the 4th, 5th century. Um, so... Anyway, so we're going to read Daniel 11, and that will tell us about this transition from um, <clears throat> from Persia to Greece, and then we'll read about the Greeks. So um, somebody read. Um, this is Daniel's last vision. He's had a bunch of visions that we've looked at already, the statue, the four beasts. This is the last vision in the chapter, or in the book. 
Uh, so could somebody read Daniel 11, 2 to 4? So, we have four kings in Persia, which takes us down to um, Darius or Xerxes, one of the two that invade Greece. We see that this king uh, stirs up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. So, a very large army is, is um, recruited to invade Greece. Some say maybe a quarter of a million soldiers come into Greece. Um, and then it says a mighty king will arise. That is Alexander the Great. So we skipped a couple hundred years there really quick. Um, and he will rule with great power and do as he pleases. So he quickly conquered the whole world. Um, he actually did it at the age of 25, and it only took five to ten years to kind of conquer the whole world. Everything that Persia had been in control of for 200 years. Um, but um, at, his, um, at his peak... So at the age of, I think, 32, maybe, he dies. And he leaves nobody behind to take over for him. Um, and that, uh, and it says there right in the end of verse 4, it will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Um, so this we read about in the other, we read about in the other uh, visions, when it talks about Alexander, um, he is the, uh, the, compared to the, the leopard in Daniel 7, who has four heads, and that's the four, the kingdom being broken up into four. Also, uh, in the vision of the, the ram and the goat, he's the goat um, that comes up with one horn, but then it's broken into four horns. So we see, for a number of places, it's predicted that Alexander's kingdom will be um, parceled up into four pieces. <coughs> Um, okay, so we're going to kind of remove this. We need a spray. Um, that's okay. Um, so, uh, so the four kingdoms. There's the Macedonian kingdom, which is kind of where Greece started. There's uh, a kingdom here in modern-day Turkey. And then there's the Syrian kingdom, which becomes the largest. And then the fourth one is Egypt. Um, the Syrian kingdom uh, is called the Seleucid, 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 I think that's how you spell it, kingdom. And then the Egyptian one goes to the Ptolemies. And those are the two, uh, the two that we see kind of um, battling it out. One 
the one in uh, in Turkey gets gets swallowed up pretty quickly right away, and then you only have three going on. But the rest of Daniel talks about the Seleucids in Syria, who are the kingdom of the north, fighting with Egypt, and the Ptolemies, who are the kingdom of the south. So I think from here on out, you just hear the king of the north and the king of the south, and that is the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Okay? So uh, Daniel 11 is pretty tricky. It gets into all sorts of things, um, but we won't, and we won't go into all of it. We'll just talk about kind of a couple of the important players. Um, <clears throat> so we will, we read down to verse 4. We're going to skip down to verse 13. So basically 100 years of fighting between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies we'll kind of skip down to. They, whenever they fight, uh, we now we kind of talk about them in history books as the Syrian Wars, and there's six Syrian Wars. We will skip the first four and just talk about the fifth and the sixth. Um, one of the reasons that we these the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom are important is because of the land in between the two, and we have right in between the two Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's here have this this the two ruling powers of the day are up here and down here well that puts jerusalem obviously in an interesting spot okay um what's that yep right in the middle yep what's that yep the belly button the navel the belly button all right so so we're going to pick up with uh i think the fifth about the fifth king of the seleucids and the fifth king of the ptolemies um this is called this guy is Antiochus the Great, or the Third. And anybody who's named the Great, you want to pay attention to. And then this one, the, the, the uh, king over here is Ptolemy the Fifth. So we're going to pick up in the Fifth Syrian War, around 200 or so. So we're, we're 100 years past when the, the kingdom is kind of divided up by Alexander the Great. And uh, you have Antiochus III, the Great, and Ptolemy, Ptolemy V. Um, so we'll skip down to uh, chapter or verse 13. This is about where they uh, start fighting in the third, in the fifth Syrian war. And how much time? We just five minutes. So we won't get through all this, but we'll get through a little bit of their um, fighting. So um, why is the fifth Syrian war important? Well, this is when... Uh, control over Jerusalem changes hands from Egypt to Syria to the Seleucids. Um, All right, so this is the fifth Syrian war. Could somebody read uh, 13, Daniel 11, 13 to 16? Um, so that is, um, it says the invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. Um, he will establish himself in the beautiful land and will have power to destroy it. So that's the beautiful land. There is the holy land. That's Jerusalem. That's Israel. 
that's when Antiochus the Great conquers it. Um, for this hundred years we skipped, the Seleucid Empire has been kind of slowly being pared down and it's getting smaller and smaller and they're losing control. When Antiochus the Great the Third comes, he expands again. And he's known as the Great because he had all sorts of growth where he took over a bunch of different places, one of which being Israel. So that's why it's important for us. So that's why he's famous. Uh, Ptolemy V is a um, is um, obviously I believe he's the fifth, but he might not be because there could be more than different. There's different kings in there, but he's really young when he becomes king. There's a bunch of turmoil. His parents are murdered um, when he's just a kid, and so there's all sorts of advisors that keep rotating through um, and kind of um, and so be, it's actually because of that because it's unstable. Um, that's one of the things leading up to the war. Antiochus is, sees some potential for invading, so that's why he attacks them. Um, he's, uh, Ptolemy V is interesting because um, in order to create stability, the, um, the ruling, a lot of the priestly class and a lot of the rulers decide they're going to have, when he turns like 12 or 15 or something, this coronation, this, this um, kind of ceremony so that they all know now we have a king, now we have a Ptolemy, um, there's stability. So they have this coronation, and there's this decree that goes out, and it bestows these, um, all these honors on Ptolemy. And, it, and he's actually kind of deified here. There's, they have a bunch of holidays now that, where they're going to celebrate him. Um, and it's really important. Um, and what they do with this decree is, um, remember, uh, Greek is the language that's spoken by all the ruling class, so they write this decree in Greek, they write it in Egyptian hieroglyphics, and then they write it in another script, uh, Egyptian script, put in all these different temples, right, all over Egypt, um, because again, the, the priests have a lot of sway with the populace, so they put this, this decree in all the temples all around Egypt, um, and it just so happens that one, um, was in a temple near the city of um, Rashid, Egypt. And uh, like a thousand or fifteen hundred years later, this temple gets kind of repurposed and all the materials used to build a fort um, uh, for defensive purposes for a sultan. And then four hundred years later, this fort, this fort is repurposed by the French during the Napoleonic Wars, right, in eighteen hundred. And the materials reused again, and a soldier finds one of these decrees about Ptolemy V's uh, coronation, um, and it's in very good condition, and it has this identical, you know, message in three different languages: Greek, hieroglyphics, and another Egyptian script. It's almost completely intact. Um, the the town that it's near, Rashid, in French, is Ros. Rosetta, and so this rock, this stone, becomes known as the Rosetta Stone. Uh, the British conquer the French, they take all their stuff, and the Rosetta Stone then it goes to Britain and is in the British Museum, and was the reason we were able to decipher hieroglyphics. So we got all this ancient script, and the, um, the discovery of the Rosetta Stone allowed us to um, allowed us to to read. Um, these, all these things that we find all over Egypt, but there was no key to unlock it. And it's because the Greeks, right, it's because the Ptolemies were Greek pharaohs. They were Greek kings. You 
have this written in both Greek and Egyptian. Um, so that's kind of an, an interesting kind of connection there to Ptolemy V. The other inter- interesting connection is that Antiochus, Antiochus's daughter. So as he, Antiochus, is conquering, he realizes that there's a threat to the West that's a problem for him. So he decides, instead of invading Egypt, right, instead of being a little too ambitious, he's going to make a treaty with um, Egypt, and he marries his daughter off to Ptolemy, to Ptolemy V. His daughter is Cleopatra, who is very famous, except she's actually not as famous as, um, she's Cleopatra the first. The famous Cleopatra that we know about is Cleopatra the seventh, but Cleopatra is the kind of regal title for the Greek Egyptian queens from this point on down to Cleopatra the seventh. And she is the final queen or pharaoh of Egypt. When she is conquered, killed, um, that's the last um, remaining Greek uh, country at that point because everything else had been taken over by this growing power in the West, the Romans. So it's now here in the 200s that Rome has started to spread and is now pushing uh, into this area. And the pressure, this pressure from Rome causes Antiochus to not invade Egypt, to not, to, to not complete you know, this invasion, but to make a deal and marry, marry off his daughter to Ptolemy V. That's probably, yeah, okay. So uh, we'll leave it there. Maybe next time we can continue through some more of Daniel 11. Um, but you, you basically at this point start to see where Rome starts to get involved. And obviously we've been following our statue, our Nebuchadnezzar statue. We go down through Persia. I already erased this. But the last one is Rome, and that's where we can probably go to maybe next week. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, so I'd be curious. Uh, one thought is, so we, we're getting this from Daniel, right? So a vision from Daniel in Babylon. So he's getting this vision, and it's about events two, 300 years in the future. So they're predictive. They play out as we expect, but it's not, it's not a narrative because it's not narrating anything in the past. It is a prophecy. So there is that. But what, what is your kind of thought on that, too? Uh, To understand these passages. Yeah. 
question and then we can talk about stuff after the break or whatever because I think it's after 9.30. But yeah. I think that's a good point. Um, and we didn't get super close to when the New Testament starts to happen. We're still at the kind of 200 era, era, um, years. Um, but uh, the later, the next thing, the next big thing that comes about is the Maccabean revolution, revolt that happens here. Um, and I, I think talking about that really helps understand the New Testament and uh, what goes on there. So um, maybe if I get invited back, we'll do that. We'll keep working through this. So. Um, all right, let's pray, and then we'll break. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, revealing yourself to us in your word, uh, the Bible, but also in history. Thank you for the ability to um, study this together and to talk about it. Uh, we pray that you bless Dan's preaching today and the fellowship. We'll bring this all together uh, here this morning. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Oh, yeah, thanks.